0: Somebody took uh, Isaac Beshevis Singer to task about this at one point, saying
1: you have one of the greatest voices of the 20th century. Why do you want to waste so much of your talent, so much of your ability writing these nonsensical stories about ghosts and uh, doppelgangers and de-books and demons and this sort of thing? And Singer's reply, you know, would be my reply, he, uh, he said because it keeps me in touch with reality. And for me this is what it does and uh this is why i do it and i guess it's it's uh it's why i love it hello
0: everyone and welcome to the empathy machine podcast i'm andrew ford and joining me as always josh akis and we are here to talk about the stephen king dollar babies josh what is a dollar baby
1: well according to the back of the book the dollar deal the stephen king dollar baby filmmakers by sean s Leeloo? Lilu is pronounced Legolas. <laughs> <laughs> God. Oh, God damn it. Mm. Okay. I was expecting that. Mm. Okay. Yeah. According to the back of this book, in 1976, Stephen King began allowing student filmmakers to create short films based on his short stories. Since that time, over 80 filmmakers have taken Mr. King up on this offer. Those films are known as the dollar baby films, but for many people, they have remained almost a myth. They can only be seen at film festivals, and many have never been seen at all. So that's what they are.
0: (laughs) We watch some of them.
1: And we watch some of them with the the magic of the the internet. So there's a couple mm, caveats that the the people who make these films have to abide by. What were those, Andrew? They're not allowed to
0: release them commercially, like make profit off of them. Mm -hmm. They're only allowed to send them to festivals. And they have to send Stephen King a copy of the finished work. They can exhibit the film commercially with approval. And there are some cases. There's Uh there's one case specifically where the Dollar Baby filmmaker got the rights to a story and went nuts and made a feature. And Stephen King actually gave them permission to seek distribution. But that opened up a whole other can of worms uh, with uh, contractual rights. And Stephen King's, like, I think his uh, lawyers had him... He, requ- he would have required an additional fee. Basically, it wasn't fiscally feasible for them to do that, to actually release that.
1: Mm-hmm. But we'll and get there, well,
0: I guess. That's so jumping the gun. Yeah,
1: a bit. Uh, but that was one of them that we weren't able to find, actually.
0: Correct. Yeah, so we, it, we didn't it, watch that one.
1: Yeah, it still exists out there in the mists, as it were. You have to email the filmmaker, um, I believe, to watch it. Yeah, I think with some of these, if you did that kind of legwork, you might be able to score copies of some of them. A few of them have been released commercially on VHS back in the day. Mm -hmm. I know I've seen these definitely at places um, like your Goodwill or different various resale shops. We have a, a, a chain here in Tennessee called McKay. I don't know how far how widespread they are. But you can sometimes still find VHS as a place like that as well.
0: Yeah, basically it was a selection of, of three of the Dollar Babies were and and one additional uh, short film that has nothing to do with Stephen King that were released on these. Uh, mm-hmm. They're called the Stephen King's Night Shift Collection, uh, Volume 1 and Volume 2. And the first volume, I believe, contains the very first Dollar Baby short, which is an adaptation of The Boogeyman from Night Shift.
1: Okay, and this is energy. one that we we were able to track down, uh, yes, as as yeah. you yourself can with some uh, some creative googling, perhaps. A lot of this stuff is on YouTube or Vimeo. Some of mm-hmm. it is on Daily Motion. Uh, it's an it Angel Fire page uh, dedicated to it. Yeah, I was gonna say there's a lot of services. <laughs> one was on a MySpace top eight. I don't know. Let's start there. At the beginning it is a very fine place to start with the boogeyman what did you think of the boogeyman andrew
0: well it's from uh 1982 directed by jeffrey shiro uh-huh. it's pretty i mean it's you know it's pretty good it the picture quality is is somewhat limited that we're able to see because mm-hmm. it's a vhs rip it was creatively googled somewhere on the internet mm-hmm. um <laughs> it, it does exist on on the vhs tape if, if uh, anyone would like to track that down but uh it's it's Pretty interesting. It has it has a good amount of atmosphere. It's a uh, it's a short story of kings that I'm not as familiar with as some of the other ones. So I, I kind of okay. had that. Ergo, the turns that the story took were a little a little more surprising to me, maybe than than they would be to some. But uh, how about you? Uh, would you would you think of this first dollar baby?
1: I think it kind of it almost set us up in a bad direction because it is pretty good. A, a lot of these are done by student filmmakers mm-hmm. or people at the very beginnings of their hopeful careers. They don't always have the best production value, although having made several things, I have to commend anybody who gets anything across the finish line. Amen. That always deserves a round of applause. <laughs> and uh truthfully, you know, at the film festivals I've been to the last few years, I've seen a lot worse stuff mm-hmm. than what we saw here with maybe one exception, but we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> so the boogeyman is very uh it's it's atmospheric. Like I feel like it captures, to my mind, some of the tone and the feel of a Stephen King. Just kind of the, especially his short stories, because he'll a lot more often go, kind of give you that sick sinking feeling in your gut in his short stories. Mm -hmm. This one, it definitely, it it managed to capture a little bit of that, which you said it might be partially because we're seeing like a a rip of a rip of a rip of it. Mm -hmm. And it almost has that Videodrome lost signal kind of a feel (laughs) when you're watching it. It's haunting your computer screen. Exactly. (laughs) The score on it was really nice. Yeah. I did appreciate that. And for me, it brought to mind something like uh, Phantasm. It just that kind Mm -hmm. of greasy, like late 70s, early 80s indie horror film vibe. You know, it definitely had some of that and had some decent production values, I thought as well.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's somewhat of a relic now, unfortunately, to see a film produced i guess i I mean i'm going to say amateur but i mean pro prosumer let's say i don't know like semi-professional filmmaker Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. but uh that has a sheen of production value just by the nature of it actually be you know it actually being made by people who know how to make it how to make a film i feel like now and as the dollar babies go on as well and just with any short it like if you go to a film festival and watch a bunch of short films uh, hopefully they selected they 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 culled some of the wheat from the chaff. Filmmaking is much more accessible now. So if the boogeyman was the first dollar baby that was made today, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of extenuating circumstances there obviously, but if if it was made today by probably uh-huh. the same filmmaker and they're using like Canon, you know, whatever or something or like a they shoot it on their iPhone and it just it wouldn't have the same feel because it's a lot easier to make films now and I feel like it would just be like a I got the rights to this for nothing. I can make right. this for a little bit more, but it, it's interesting to look at. I think uh, the score, especially like you said, is something that I feel like the time taken to hire somebody to record that and the time taken to like edit something on like a Steenbeck like flatbed,
1: right, uh, right. is
0: something that is maybe lost. Some people I've edited on film before. I, I'm sure you have. Heavy? We haven't really talked about it. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's been. It's, it's very difficult.
1: Uh, it's, and, uh, it's, it's been it's, it's many, fun. many years, but yes. Uh, it's pleasurable in its yeah, top I suppose, but it's it's nice. It's a very <laughs> physical kind of action, and it's weird because, from what I recall, I actually don't worry as much about if I'm making the wrong decision as I do when I'm using a, a nonlinear editor, and mm-hmm. there's way too many choices to be made. Mm-hmm. It just gets way too granular uh, in Adobe Premiere. <laughs> or your final cut or what have you. As for the Boogeyman, Andrew Ford raves. Uh it's not bad to watch. It's not bad to look at I think, it's <laughs> <you said>, so.
0: <laughs> It's not I mean it's not the best one we watched. It's not the worst one. As the first one, it's worth I mean it's noteworthy in that regard. It's uh, it was the first known one, I suppose. There's maybe there were some before that that either didn't get finished or whatever, but it seems like this was the first one.
1: Yeah, cuz the the project kind of started in 76-77. Um, according mm-hmm. to different timelines we found. So there definitely could be something out there before this. All right, so where do you want to move to? Something else in 1983, I believe. We have a couple options. Well, the very next film
0: on the Stephen King Night Shift Collection VHS tape uh, after the Boogeyman is uh, Frank Darabont's debut effort, Woman in the Room, uh, which is adapted from a short story also
1: from Night uh, Shift. I'm which sorry. Uh, mm-hmm. Frank who? D- Darabont. Oh, Frank Darabont. You what mean the I guy say? who's been in the... Oh. No, 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 <laughs> I was, I, I'm doing a bit. Oh, I thought uh, I misspoke. No, 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 I was, I was doing a okay. whole thing with, like, acting no, like, like I didn't know who Frank Darabont was <laughs> to highlight the fact that it is, the, yes, the Frank Darabont who um, was recently in the news about uh, his, his struggles in the Walking Dead writer's room. Well, I mean, I don't really want to render my
0: verdict on that because I like his work so much, but mm-hmm. that's an interesting... He must have been pushed pretty far. That's all I'll say. It doesn't seem like... Yes. He seems like a pretty humane, genteel person based on his work, for, for whatever that's worth. Well, and, and his relationship with Stephen King yeah, and I, also seems similarly nice.
1: Yes, and I honestly know very little except for what I see on film Twitter. Generally, I don't read those types of articles. They interest me less than articles about The Craft. I spend way too much time in that
0: world. Well, The Craft is such a wonderful
1: film. Hey. There we go. There's my uh, bit. Oh, uh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good, but yes, this is the the Darabont debut. And what other uh, Stephen King products has he brought to us? Well, he did. He would go on to
0: do The Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile, and eventually The Mist. Much as much in the same way he rewrote the ending to The Mist, which I won't spoil, but just to say you should go see go see the movie if you haven't, or find a copy and and watch it. Mm -hmm. He also made some pretty significant changes to this short story, which I think made it work as a short film a lot better than it would have if it was just a straight adaptation. Because one thing that if you read a lot of Stephen King or if you are, I mean, which is probably a lot of people, um, (laughs) he's pretty famous. He has a lot of uh, interior like monologue with his character. Uh So a lot of filmmakers tend to take that and put a lot of voiceover in, especially when they're making shorts. So it's a little tricky to translate some of that. And a a lot of the short films that we watched are they're very they're very character based, Mm -hmm. and so a lot of them are just like basically analyzing like one particular character. And so with the woman in the room, I think the short story was originally just I mean it's initially just like a guy like worrying whether or not to to euthanize his mother who's very sick with uh, I believe lung cancer, emphysema, or something. And uh, in the movie, Frank Darabont like. Already, like he demonstrates, what would serve him well later throughout his career, a knack for what a story needs to make it work as like a make it function in a narrative sense. So, like he added in a parallel or a, a concurrent uh, storyline, sort of like complementing the main mm-hmm. conflict of the of the piece, where the main character is a lawyer for a criminal who's going to get probably going to get the death penalty. And they're able to talk about, you know, back and forth about, like, very frankly, maybe a little unrealistically, about what's going on (laughs) with his mother. It's a way to make explicit what King, I'm sure, had go on in the character's head without resorting to voiceover. Right. And it's really, it's a really neat trick. Like I said, maybe not realistic, but it works for the short. And this is one of the, I think, this is one of the strongest dollar babies that we watched, probably unsurprisingly, but.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean it was adapted I believe and and directed by Frank Darabont. It was also shot by the cinematographer Juan Ruiz uh, Anchia, I believe is how you pronounce it, who mm-hmm. it looks like he went on to actually have a long career working, you know, from the early 80s up through at least 2010, he worked uh, several times with David Mamet and actually shot Glengarry Glen Ross. So these fellows were no slouches who made this. I mean, they were young at the time, but mm-hmm. they still, uh, you know, had greatness within them. It also had the distinction of Stephen King saying that it's clearly the best of the short films made from my stuff. So I don't know when he said that, but I believe I think that comes from the intro to
0: the uh, the Shawshank Redemption screenplay when that was published. Okay, that's what I've seen anyway, but yeah, I, I, I haven't read that myself in that, but that's where most people heard about the Dollar Baby
1: idea in the first place mm-hmm. when that screenplay was published because Stephen King wrote the intro. I believe that was my uh, introduction to the idea of them and didn't see didn't actually see one for many years. Mm-hmm. But as far as this one goes, it's definitely one of the stronger ones we saw. I know Frank Darabont was really good not only at getting all of the the character stuff out there. It's one of those where it's about the right length for the material it's covering, which I think is a a tough thing when making a short film. Mm -hmm. Lord knows it's something that I've struggled with, (laughs) but the pacing, the tone and everything is very, I don't know, it's just appropriate for what it's uh, communicating. And I think kind of having that holistic view in mind, you know, I guess it shows that Frank Darabont, you know, already. Had his head on right when he was working on these things, but yeah, it just it makes it one of the stronger entries, kind of in uh, in what we've seen today.
0: After that, we're we're only going to touch on it briefly uh-huh. because we have bigger plans for for this particular short story. Oh yes, we do. It's Foolish, stupid plans. Ridiculous <laughs> plans. plans. John Woodward uh, in 1983 adapted the short story uh, "Children of the Corn" into a a short film called "Disciples okay. of the Crow." and it's quite good. I've seen yeah. it I think 3 times now. and it's it's it moves really quickly and like I said we probably will talk about it in a little more detail uh at a later date.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, we have ridiculous plans for children of children's of the corns. I don't know where to where to pluralize that, but uh yeah. We're we're, yeah, we're I'm not we're, sure. <laughs> we're, we're headed to crazy town as far as that one goes. Okay, so what's uh, next on the list? I guess that would be probably last rung on the ladder. Is that what we're looking at here?
0: Real quick, just because I think it's funny, I do want to mention the night waiter, which is yes. was included <laughs> in the night shift collections that came out on VHS. And it was it has nothing to do with Stephen King, but it's pretty it's pretty good. It's like got some atmosphere to it. I don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. what, what did you think, Josh?
1: I really liked it. Kinda had like a, a fun, uh, almost kind of creep show kind of mm-hmm. vibe to it that I really liked. It, I know it's not a Stephen King story. It had nothing to do with him. I believe it was directed by Jack Garrett. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was just done just as filler for the, the VHS tapes or if it was the thing that someone did and it was already in existence. But it had the, the feel of one of the goofier Stephen King short stories. And I thought it was a lot of fun and pretty professional production. I mean, it was still kind of like a, a good film student film mm-hmm. but it was pretty enjoyable i liked it
0: you can definitely tell they're 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 shooting in an empty like set slash hotel like they're it feels like it's a little dirt cheap but that kind of works in its favor if uh-huh. that makes sense like it, it it feels a little like like the student atmos- the student film uh aspect works really well uh towards right because it's a pretty like bog standard, like kid goes to work at a new job at a hotel, hotel might be haunted. And it's sort of like, but the, the, the sheen of uh not amateurish, cause that sounds bad. But there's like a sheen of like, I don't know, enthusiasm, I guess let's let's call it enthusiasm.
1: Yes. Um,
0: <laughs> it, it makes it so you like the, the beats that when they come, you're not really expecting them. And it's just got this, this sort of, it does exist in the same kind of VHS haze, that uh, the boogeyman benefited from. So that's it's kind of a nice it's a nice little compliment to the series, but again, has nothing to do with Stephen King other than I guess at one point he agreed to it was good enough that he would put his name on it. I'm sure he had to have signed off on that VHS series, right?
1: Maybe? I don't know. <laughs> but I would say I also kind of went down a rabbit hole of watching amateur short films on on youtube and vimeo Mm -hmm. and over the past few years like having seen a bunch of film festivals um i've judged some of these things for um you know like National film festival we've made some things like this it's uh i would actually recommend if you like this kind of thing watching this one uh as opposed to i don't know there was a lot of stephen king unauthorized short films on youtube that are rough (laughs) But, oh, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, if you want kind of that, that if you want that Barton Fink, I'm sorry, that Stephen King feeling, <laughs> uh, this one doesn't isn't the uh, the worst that he could do. All right, so what's up next on the list? Well, so we've got uh, if we, yeah, so if, there's two that came out
0: roughly 1987 ish. Mm-hmm. First one uh, is called uh, it's an adaptation of the Last Rung on the Ladder, which was a more of a not not like a horrific short story, I guess. Right. Not one of his more genre y efforts. And it's it's just it's kind of it's kind of plain spoken. I, th- I think uh it's directed by uh it's got two directors. It's got uh, directed by Dan Thrawn and James Cole. That
1: totally sounds like they would be uh, like a superhero team. Or, or or perhaps the uh the ego and the alter ego. The Thrawn like and Cole. Dan Thrawn. <laughs> Dan Thrawn sounds like uh, he could be It sounds like uh, a robot. Oh, see? Or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> like he'd be Dantron, but he's Danthron. Yeah. Uh, see, I was thinking that he is like Warriors of the of the Cimarron or what have you kind of a thing.
0: Well, now that we've mocked him in his name. <laughs> oh. oh
1: no, uh, I, I, I like the name. It's very manly sounding. <laughs> he sounds like he could lift a sword real high. There we go. Well, yeah. So uh, what did you think of this one? So this one, I always kind of remember the story as being very melancholic and kind of one of king's more uh, poetic kind of short stories it's more i don't know it lives a lot in these little details as i recall and i see in this film how they tried to kind of capture that and totally part of this could be the fact that we're watching a transfer of a transfer kind of a thing Mm -hmm. but the movie i don't know it comes across as a little more cheesy than sentimental really with stephen king a lot of adapting him is choosing what to put in the story and what mm-hmm. to leave out. So I think this is a good one that probably avoids some of the, I don't know, kind of dorkier elements that could be put in there from a Stephen King short. Well, yeah, I think it's, um, it's interesting. So ba- the basic premise is it's a guy
0: who's reads a uh, like, it was like a suicide note from his sister mm-hmm. or hears that his sister killed herself. And he remembers the time when he saved her from falling off of a, off of the second floor of a barn onto the ground by moving a bunch of hay over because right. the ladder broke. And it's kind of the sweet thing. And it is, uh, I didn't really remember the short story myself, but I like the, the way that uh, they chose to focus on the flashback a lot. I, I guess maybe the yes. ends of it were not as well established as they could have been, but I did like, and I mean, it's much harder, I think, to do a short film like this when you're working with kids and kids doing stunts. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's a, it's a very, they they chose, I think a harder, uh, more difficult route to do it. Uh, But uh, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's not perfect, but it's, it's certainly an interesting effort. definitely one of his more in the vein of like, yeah, Shawshank or stand by me or just more uh, dramatic effort.
1: Yeah. I would concur
0: much more fun. (laughs) <laughs> from the same year <laughs> is the adaptation of the lawnmower man not not oh, the one with, with
1: uh pierce brosnan yeah no I, no i've seen that
0: this one came out <laughs> i i'm happy to talk about that because that movie I, that movie's fucking crazy <laughs> and i don't know if you've seen the director's cut but it is two hours and 22 minutes of just bug fuck nuts like crazy there's like a monkey that gets loose and this extra, I don't know. It's great, but this this one is just an adaptation of the short story, which is one of King's goofiest short stories, maybe easiest. I'll say easiest to screw up, maybe. Uh,
1: first of all, yeah, I also would love. I loved the uh, the Pierce Brosnan, Jeff Fahey film uh, mm-hmm. when I was a kid, and actually, I just purchased that on on iTunes my iTunes recommendations are going to be real wacky. I can tell, but you'd like uh, to check out brain scan. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it always disappointed me that that movie was not actually like a Stephen King story as such, because this story is also pretty wackadoo nuts. True. It's very short. As I recall, mm-hmm. the story itself. And it's basically about a shitty husband who, who doesn't want to do the lawn work and so he hires someone to do it and I believe there might be a sequence with a um, uh, someone who does and comes and does a bad job mm-hmm. and then he calls someone to finish it up and this giant kind of hiyup, hiyup looking uh, hillbilly shows up who also happens to be the god pan is that right <laughs> Is that I, how this is, is supposed to be read I,
0: I couldn't remember if he is or if he worships the god Pan, but but regardless, there is a scene where he crawls behind the lawnmower eating the grass. Right, he, that's he, in the he, short anyway.
1: Yeah, he <laughs> he crawls behind the lawnmower eating the grass as it comes out of the lawnmower. So and the the dude, uh, oh, he strips down naked as he's mowing the right. lawn. Not in the short. Yeah, not in but, the short. He doesn't. Yeah. And he has his legs bent backwards like Torgo and he has cloven feet and i think i mean he talks about satan as his boss maybe so i'm really not sure about the cosmology of this but the short it's pretty amateurish but man it's it really uh, i think it kind of captures the uh the goofy tone uh, i think if you took it too seriously it would be nothing but shitty. I think
0: yeah there there's a way it's like with lovecraft like there's a way to either go really silly with it or a way to go really really scary with it if right. you and i feel like this I, this is not on the level of like at the mountains of madness on on the page. Right. Let, just to be clear, but it's definitely it's that same, it's aiming for that same kind of tone i think. But yeah, i mean, by the way, i should mention before we get past it this was directed by Jim Gones. Uh, just so that we uh-huh. know which one we're talking, because this has been adapted a few times, I think. One other thing to mention while we're on the lawnmower man is that the 1992 feature film that we were talking about earlier was he had, Stephen King actually sued to get his name removed from it because it has so little to do with the actual story, and he he won the suit. And if I'm if I'm remembering right, I believe he, the only way they were able to like because they put out the laser disc. Of the director's cut with Stephen King's, *The lawnmower man, like in, uh-huh. the, in the print. And uh, basically I think the judge ruled that the new line cinema was going to have to pay Stephen King, like $50,000 a day until they took his name uh-huh. off of all the copies, took it out of circulation. Like it was something absurd that they had to do. Cause they didn't want to take his name off of it. And you can understand why. Cause he's <laughs> way more successful than oh, yeah. uh, Brett Leonard who directed it. Did I get that right from memory? Yeah, I think that's right. Um but yeah, I mean it's <laughs> I'm probably right it, I don't was know. A,
1: it was a Leonard joint, yeah, of course. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, I got it right. I'm the best. But uh it's a fun short film. It's it was it's definitely a student film too. I don't know if we mentioned that. I forget what school, but it was one that they did and uh a young Michael DeLuca. Unless this is just another guy named Mike DeLuca, but I'm pretty sure it's the same one who would go on to work at New Line Cinema, and I believe he ended Wait, up running. Isn't there also for a Mike
1: DeLuca isn't there also a Mike DeLuca who was uh, like a pitcher?
0: There's a Mike DeLuca like at my grocery store who works in the meat counter. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't. It sounds like, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe you're thinking of, uh, you're thinking of Chuck Finley. That's who you're thinking of.
1: <laughs> okay. I don't know. Oh, Wade Boggs. It was Wade Boggs. I'm it was sorry. Wade Boggs, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, that's the lawnmower man. If he can track it down, uh, I believe it, it's, uh, accessible through some creative googling it's uh it's interesting it's if you like the story this is closer to the story than than the movie for sure yeah
1: and it is i would say that it's fun and it's fairly short so yeah yeah it's hard to go wrong with with short on in a short film okay i think we take kind of a big old leap over the uh the 1990s yeah i'm not uh, sure in toto here don't we
0: I'm not sure what happened here. If it was just a lot of his stuff was being optioned like immediately mm-hmm. during this period, which probably was the case. as seems to be the case now, again, for whatever, you know, like he's having a very movie. good year. He is. I'm not complaining. I'm, I'm well, I haven't seen the dark tower yet, but, but I'm not complaining about more Stephen King on the screen I'd bring it on. I'm actually not to go off on too big of a tangent, but there's an adaptation of the short story. I believe it's called 1921. 1922 (laughs) I was off by year. from Full Dark No Stars (laughs) which is probably the best Stephen King short story collection that I've read beginning to end anyway it has Mm -hmm. the strongest it's only got like four stories in it I think yeah 1922 was always I I was hoping one day that I would be in a position where I could do that one but it looks like someone else is doing it it's playing Fantastic Fest this year and I'm really looking forward to seeing how that turns out I hope they did a good job because it's a really cool story
1: well, what about in that one? Instead of that one, if you did a version of uh, something kind of goofy and stupid, like I am the doorway. Well, uh. we can talk about that. <laughs> no, I, okay. I actually i got the i got
0: the i i got the contract. That I wrote that to to do I am the doorway as a dollar baby, and uh, uh-huh. we we were gonna make it, and we did. We didn't. We didn't make it. And a lot of that is just me getting in my own way. For
1: the fans out there i
0: don't know andrew would you be willing
1: to share your script i mean maybe yeah i mean it's it's kind of i'd have to read over it again i don't know when we kind of revisited it a couple years ago maybe i reread the the script and the short in the same night Mm -hmm. like back to back and i really like your script i really do thank you
0: i'm not sure if i'm allowed to share it legally based on the contract but maybe and I, i think the contract's probably expired at this point i think i could use it as a writing sample to get work, but I don't know if I could, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I'd like to, and, and, uh, I appreciate the kind words. Yeah. It, it's, it's a story that I think most people probably avoided, although it has been adapted. I just
1: haven't seen any of any of the adaptations. No. And actually I, I do really like the story. I called it stupid a second ago just for comedic effect. It was a bit, <laughs> but no, it's, it is a really, it, it's one of those creepy Lovecraftian stories. Mm hmm you have kind of these ground level people, but then there's like lurking cosmic horror just beyond the, the surface of reality.
0: Yeah. it's, uh, it, I think it's one that uh, people look at and, and think it would require maybe more budget or something to do than it. Mm-hmm. Cause there's, there's an invocation of like astronauts <laughs> and like other right, space right. stuff. And I think there's, you know, I, th- yeah. Well, anyway, we didn't watch any of the adaptations that exist and, Unfortunately, I haven't adapted it yet. But, you know,
1: whatever. (laughs) If we ever do, kind listeners, you will be the first to know. (laughs) (laughs) So we're skipping over the 90s. We couldn't find anything from that period or even... Like, these things are notoriously hard to track down or even know Mm -hmm. what things eventually got made. We were able to find one list actually has an adaptation of Here There Be Tigers that was supposedly done by Guy Madden. But... According Turns out to Wikipedia, which twist, is always right.
0: It never actually got made. I think, I think maybe Madden got the rights, got the contract and mm-hmm. he was in, because uh, there was a, there's all, there's a pretty much just wild speculation. He's in college. He got the rights. He didn't make it. Right. He did something else, but yeah. Uh Guy Madden would be, I think, I don't know, maybe neck and neck with Darabont as the most talented filmmaker to make a, or most successful filmmaker, at least to make a dollar baby if he had made it, but. It wasn't meant to be.
1: Well, I don't know. There's somebody from like 2002 that seems to be having a pretty good career. But first, we're going to visit the year 2000. Okay. In the film um, Paranoid, which is adapted from Paranoid, a chant mm-hmm. that which was in Skeleton Crew. Is that correct? Yes. Okay.
0: I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's, it's what I wrote down, so it must be correct.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it here and your cursor is right there, like just after
0: mm-hmm. it. I definitely didn't just write it
1: yeah no, i'm just kidding i'm trying to <laughs> fuck me it's up the last Thanks. One,
0: it's the last one i bolded
1: <laughs> so, so a part a part in that kimono this was directed and adapted i believe by jay holbin who mm-hmm. i believe has written at least one book about independent film and i believe how to do cinematography and lighting for cheap
0: yeah he had he has certainly he is uh Has certainly moved on into a career as a cinematographer, as a professional cinematographer, it seems like.
1: Yeah, he's got a book called A Shot in the Dark, which is about a creative DIY guide to digital video lighting on almost no budget. And I actually read this book several years ago, and I would recommend it if you are somebody who is working with little to no budget and you're willing to get your hands dirty making some of your own lights. Yeah, it was it's a pretty good little primer. From someone who does a lot of this stuff, it looks like uh, he also has a book called Behind the Lens, which is about his experience as a cinematographer on uh, low-budget things. I'm assuming so. This movie, this short, was—I don't know—it had a lot of kind of professional flourishes. I would say,
0: yeah. It's it, first of all, it's very short, but it is adapting, yes. I believe, a, a poem pretty much, mm-hmm. and one with well, a chant. With well, a chant, of course. Um, I know one of the major changes that was made was that he, uh, I don't think King specifies the gender of the, of the protagonist, of the character in the poem or in the chant. And so he made it a woman. I, I think he assumed most people assumed it was a guy. So, or he had said that at one point that, uh, he figured most people assumed it was a guy. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's an interesting, you know, change of perspective. And who knows what King originally intended but it's a, it's an, it's interesting it certainly has a lot of production value to it you can tell the guy knows i mean he can he lights the shit out of it
1: it looks really good it if you've ever seen uh, 7 it's a lot like the the opening credits for 7 mm-hmm. with the uh, the flashes and the words like scrolling across the screen and the double exposures and stuff mm-hmm. um it does have kind of a, a low budget like scott brothers kind of a feel to it i could definitely see that yeah, yeah
0: it's definitely, i mean you i, th- I think if I'm if I'm remembering right, because I, uh, I read through that Dollar Deal book that we mentioned earlier by Sean Le, uh, Leo, Lealos. Lealas, I was gonna say Legolas. I almost uh, said
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sean. He's a Legos. real person. He is not an elf. <laughs> Which it should be mentioned that you can acquire that book on Amazon Kindle. Was that correct?
0: Yeah, I'm not sure or... if it's available in paperback, but it's, it's it was only like five dollars last I saw uh, for the Kindle, and that's how I read it. Okay. Um, and it's 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 worth a look. He actually gets in touch with a lot of people whose shorts uh, I, w- we, I wasn't that we weren't able to track down. But he, uh, I believe he talked about almost all the ones that we watched. Maybe mm-hmm. he didn't talk about the Night Waiter. but that's because the Night Waiter is not a Stephen King. <laughs> dollar yeah, baby.
1: that's yeah. Uh, paranoid. The original kind of poem is looks to be like a hundred lines. Mm-hmm. And I have a, I have a distinct memory of the first time I read this. I was in a. My parents' car, it was a, my mom had this gray Ford Tempo. I think it was the only car that we ever bought new. And we were going to a friend's backyard barbecue and I read this on the way to the barbecue. And I was already kind of a weird kid. I was an indoor kid before that was cool. And I remember reading this and the whole time I was at this barbecue, like this was just ringing in my head of Mm -hmm. (laughs) like basically that you can't like trust the people around you. And what is that guy over there doing? What are they putting on those burgers? You know, to my, I don't know, 10 or 11 year old brain. It was, I had never Mm -hmm. read anything like this and it was really impressive. I don't know if it would strike me the same now, but I can definitely see why someone would want to uh, adapt it into a into a short. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of, there's a lot to play with there and you don't have to be very beholden to too much description Or Mm -hmm. too much plot to move around.
0: Yeah, it's basically just like an open canvas for like a a visual filmmaker. And so I think uh, he definitely takes advantage of that. I just, I think as a short film, there isn't a ton there. There's not a lot of meat on it, on its bones, Uh but it's it's, it's interesting. It's definitely interesting.
1: And it's fun. And it's one of the shorter ones. So once again, you know, I don't have time for most short films. They make them Mm -hmm. too long. Like (laughs) (laughs) make a feature if you're going to make something that's 25 minutes. Also, I should take my own advice, but still, that would be one that I would, uh, I would visit and it's pretty readily available out there, like on the YouTubes and whatnot. Oh, definitely. So what are we moving to next? Uh, strawberry spring,
0: strawberry spring, uh, from strawberry 2001 spring. directed yes. by Dovid Linder. This is one that I, yeah, like with mo- so I didn't go back and personally revisit any of these stories, any of these short stories. I remembered some parts of some of them. Uh-huh. This was one of the only shorts that we watched that I was like, I really want to go read that short story. Because it's uh, it's another very short one. I think it's like six or seven minutes, all uh-huh. in. Oh yeah, and it's it's just a, a really just atmospheric, all voiceover. There's I don't think there's any dialogue, and just very just rich. I don't know. It's it's really good. It's kind of hard to explain. I feel like there's not much difference in in terms of the aesthetics between this and Paranoid, but maybe this is just a stronger piece that he's that that's being adapted. Um, or a piece that has more to it that's being adapted but it's, it's it's really good
1: um yeah I actually I kind of don't want to talk about where it goes because it's the the rare short film with a with a twist at the end that's actually pretty fun yeah and if you do seek it out make sure you watch the one that was done by Dovid mm-hmm. there is another one up on YouTube that I watched that, does not have the same panache, I would say Mm -hmm. it's perfectly fine, but it's also like 15 minutes long as opposed to, I think six or seven or eight or whatever. So
0: I didn't, I didn't see the other one, but I'm sure it's a piece of shit. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) Jackass. (laughs) Of course course it's, it's probably fine. (laughs)
1: Um, Also a lot of these shorts or a lot of the stories were adapted into material for what did they call it? Was it actually called Nightmares and Dreamscapes? Yeah, the but TNT I miniseries? that actually, yes, mm-hmm. yeah. which I think actually contained material from multiple books, not just Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Am I am I correct in that?
0: I'm not sure. I know the ones that I know of are, uh, that are in it are from Nightmares and Dreamscapes. But what is, is what is Battleground from? I think that's from Nightmares. You know what? Let's take a look. Why don't, why don't you vamp? Talk more about Strawberry Spring while I look at
1: it. Okay, strawberry spring is kind of a a variation, a continuation of um a Jack the Ripper story, and it's incredibly evocative of I don't know the a strawberry spring, which is what he describes. It's a term that I had never heard before I've never heard used outside of this short story, but he talks about like it's um it's like Indian summer, but for the spring, it basically. Uh, it covers this the this college campus in a thick fog and it's very um reminiscent of uh victorian era uh london it's just kind of i don't know a lot of these this these shorts the original pieces i mean he manages to convey a lot of tone and feeling whereas i feel like in his longer works character is kind of what carries you it's the the individual characters that give the the place its tone. You know, I've I believe I've praised Salem's Lot here on the uh, podcast before, mm-hmm. but Salem's Lot, the town comes alive because of your understanding of the individual people. And here, as I recall, a lot of it really is his descriptiveness with uh, this this college campus kind of shrouded in fog and everybody running in fear and the paranoia uh, that there could be a killer around every corner
0: right it's a very evocative like very well shot very just rich like a, a way of conveying a, a larger mm-hmm. world if i'm not mistaken i read about the making of this and uh, it was this was the second attempt at, at adapting it so they they already kind of did a dry run of that adaptation mm-hmm. and i don't, I don't know that, that version's available but this one is uh it feels there's a refinement to it in the shot choices just the overall flow of it that i feel like it benefits from having had that, oh, that rough draft of it because i also looked this up battleground is from night shift that was in nightmares and dreamscapes the miniseries and there mm-hmm. were a couple of stories in that that were adapted from everything's eventual as well uh the road virus heads north and autopsy room four
1: okay that so was it was kind a of fun all over little, the place yeah
0: they kind of mostly nightmares and dreamscapes but i guess three of the eight were from other other things so
1: okay so, um, the more you know, so we were both right in a way.
0: Yeah, huh. I'll take that.
1: <laughs> OK, I'm being gracious here because I was totally the right one. OK, so <laughs> what's next on the list? In 2002, we've got a couple. Uh-huh. One one was adapted from
0: Night Shift. One was adapted from Nightmares and Nightmares and Dreamscapes. They are each about 30 minutes, which is already a problem. I think rainy season is a little bit shorter. We'll talk about rainy season first. It's directed by uh, Nick Walters.
1: No, raining season was pretty short.
0: It felt long.
1: <laughs> You're not wrong. Just for the record, like this person went on to have a very
0: successful career. the The director of this, he ended up uh, creating the the TV series The Event, which is probably not like top. You know, it's not peak TV, but it's it's a TV show. You know, that uh, got yeah, Grand Yeah, it's more and
1: than we've done recently.
0: Yes, exactly, and uh, they've been a producer on shows uh, like Vampire Diaries, The 4400, Medium, and others, so this in particular is, uh, Mm -hmm. and and part of this is maybe just the story doesn't really lend itself to a low budget, at least not in 2002. It involves a rain of frogs that have sharp teeth.
1: Yeah, it's kind of um,
0: (laughs) ridiculous. Ridiculous. Not all like, not all of Stephen King's ideas are winners. Not to not that I mean, there's maybe a good version of this somewhere, and maybe the story's I'm sure the story's better than this, but this is a rough one.
1: Well, would you say that Stephen King he he's got a good slugging percentage? I would say.
0: Well, I'd say his slugging percentage is like nine or whatever. I don't know. What's slu-
1: his? His slugging percentage is very high. Yes, w- w- when he hits, he hits hard. He connects. Well, and
0: and even the ones that aren't like a home run are still like you can get into the like Mr. Mercedes is like the best James Patterson novel ever. Like okay. James Patterson would never write anything half that good, uh-huh, uh-huh. but plot wise, it's very similar to a James Patterson novel. But King can sketch these characters and and indulge in cliche in a way that doesn't feel cliche because he gives these characters authenticity and empathy, mm-hmm. and he's he's very generous towards his characters, even the ones that are somewhat villainous i'm actually reading uh revisiting it uh for the first time since i read it in sixth grade which means i didn't really get it <laughs> it's not a book <laughs> you really grasp when you're 11 unless you're a genius and i, I wasn't <laughs> um Aww. but uh i wasn't an 11 year old genius it happens in that book eddie uh as uh has like a really like overbearing mother and yes. it's sort of a little bit like you know. Um, Annie Wilkes almost from Misery. And it's been a while since I've read Misery, but and I'm curious to go back and revisit that now. But in this, like she's she's painted as very like overbearing and almost shrewish and just like too, like you know, just almost the person that's just like pure evil. But like she's also given these shadings and he takes the time to like, which of course he does, it's a book that's over a thousand pages long, but he takes the time to lay out the thought process. Which is very reasonable that led her to this overbearing sensibility, this overbearing tendency to be super like overwhelming about like make, taking care of her, her son right. to the point that she like almost gives him asthma because she's so worried that he's going to have asthma. You don't like her necessarily, but you understand her a little more than you would in most you know uh, anything by like a, a writer, another writer that didn't put as much time into that. So. Maybe Rainy Season is a great short story, but there's a reason we're not talking. Well, There's a reason I'm talking about it.
1: (laughs) Um, Rainy Season, if you you look up on the the Wikipedia, which is never mm -hmm. wrong, they do mention that it has been adapted for a comic book called The Secretary of Dreams, which is a collection of comics based on Stephen King's short fiction, which kind of seems like a good place for this to live. Absolutely. Uh, And also... I don't know if you've ever spoken to the gentleman on on Twitter, but I know I have. N- new man crush of mine, Grady Hendrix, uh, mm-hmm. referred to this particular story as a time passer. Okay. Yeah, I think he's pretty close. This is exactly the kind of thing that I would skim over in one of King's books and probably not want to revisit even as even in that form. I think the the short film made of it is just as inessential.
0: Yes. I would concur. That's actually a good pull. Uh, cause I think Grady Hendrix is really good. Like modern. I mean, he's, I don't know. I don't want to say anyone's like modern Stephen King, but he's, he's, he's one, he's a writer that is uh worthy of considering if you like Stephen King, you should read Grady Hendrix. I've only read one of his books. I read horror store, but you're reading my best friend's exorcism. Right. I
1: read um, my best friend's exorcism. Um, I finished that, uh, last week sometime and it's so good. Oh. <laughs> and okay, so a lot of people when referring to something like Stranger Things, they'll kind of call it out for it's um, using nostalgia as a crutch, possibly. And I
0: definitely I definitely didn't do that.
1: And <laughs> and I've even seen this lobbed at Edgar Wright for Baby Driver recently mm-hmm. that basically just like doing all these call outs to like, look how cool I am and, and look what kind of shit I can make you remember aren't these cool song choices. Which I'm very permissive of that kind of thing because we all sound check our own lives with pop culture. So it makes mm-hmm. sense to reference pop culture and other pop culture to me, but I feel like, and I, I just got a um, horror store delivered to my door Monday uh, so mm-hmm. I can catch up on that one too. But my best friend's exorcism starts off and you could definitely call it out for that same kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. And then By the end, he manages to kind of, kind of subvert that both in the form of what's happening, like plot wise and, and structure wise within the book, but also then theme wise that a lot of that stuff dies away. And it's really, I don't know. It wasn't until I was thinking about it that I was like, holy shit, that was really effective. The way that he kind of used these different pop culture call outs throughout it and what kind of happens story-wise towards the end that they kind of start disappearing. So also, uh, like I said, he was a super nice guy to talk to on Twitter. So,
0: well, and, uh, horror stories that, you know, welcome to the Grady Hendrix cast, uh, <laughs> horror stories, uh, it's similar cause it, it sort of snuck up on me. Like at first I was reading it and I was thinking this is a novel concept, but a haunted Ikea type store for legal purposes that, mm-hmm. uh, I thought it would, you know, just sort of be a lark, you know, like an entertaining, like, you know, page-turner. But it actually, it has a lot of weight to it. And you really, he really uh, couches the characters in a, in a recognizable reality and, and serves up a, a, a theme, an ideology that I, I wasn't expecting. There's a lot of heart to it that I wasn't expecting. It's just, it's just really interesting. So, uh, yeah, definitely check out his stuff. Rainy season. <laughs>
1: yeah so rainy season I don't know I'm done talking about that one. let's go on to night surf <laughs> <laughs> night
0: surf from two thousand two also uh di- is uh, directed by Peter Sullivan who would go on to uh work on a be- uh-huh. I believe a sci-fi channel original movies and among other things and uh this one is uh also not my favorite it's sort of a riff or uh, like a spin off of the stand right. little bit they it's about a a group of people in a beach house get captain trips or worried they're getting captain trips Mm -hmm. which is the virus from the stand if you're listening to a stephen king podcast and didn't know that and sorry that (laughs) sounded really shitty like it really did i didn't mean that the stand is only a 1300 page book on a good day so yeah i apologize that was mean but captain (laughs) trips is I, I could just day. say i could just say hey cut that out but that does you know it's fine let's just
1: let's just throw it all in there no no let's let's get the full full scope of you get both barrels
0: yeah night surf is uh it's okay i mean it it's it uh is not dissimilar from the parts of sci-fi channel original movies that don't involve cgi monsters
1: personally i found this one to be kind of the most boring of the bunch that we've seen Mm -hmm. even some of the earlier ones uh, as you said in their enthusiasm um they're entertaining (laughs) they manage to even if they're super wrong-headed sometimes there's something about them that makes them endearing or makes you want to root for them in some way this one was kind of is pretty professional Mm -hmm. in its production there's the, the sequence with uh the guy that they trapped in the car that the lighting was really kind of fun Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know i I liked that but a lot of it was like you said the sci-fi originals and kind of the ones in the era right before they really owned how cheesy they are and started having fun with it where it was not nearly as i don't know i hate to say say fun so many times but It 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 wasn't as fun. It was more like you would slog through half the movie to get to the the shark with person legs running around eating people, and that's kind of what this this feels like. Yeah, Lake Lake Placid versus Anaconda.
0: This is not. (laughs) It's it's the kind of thing that like as I was as I was watching it, I was already forgetting what I'd seen a few minutes before, just because it was like it's just sort of and it's not. I mean, it feels. I don't like saying bad things about something i'm usually hardest on short films for whatever reason i think it's because it's the only thing i feel like i, I have any real authority because i've made them before
1: okay okay
0: so maybe that's why i don't know but it's it's a bit of a you know and I, I, if i go back and read the story maybe the story isn't too dissimilar but i have to imagine there's a little more there
1: well and you know part of that uh in this one I feel like the actors kind of have to carry a lot in the ensemble, especially Mm -hmm. because you have to, I don't know. I always pictured them from the short story as kind of like the scooby gang at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then they disintegrate over the course of the story. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think that these people really were up to handling that heavy lifting that that would kind of demand. So probably, you know, a variety of culprits here. But once again, it's not out and out bad, but if you're only going to watch all but one of <laughs> these, this would probably be the first one that I would skip if, you, if you're narrowing down uh, in that direction.
0: Yeah, I think I think I would say the only reason I would rank it below rainy season is because it is longer. I think they're probably about on par if, and I might like this a little more than rainy season, but only I just really didn't yeah, enjoy but, the rainy season. But,
1: the ridiculousness of of the the cgi frogs and rainy season is actually kind of entertaining to be so well
0: that's Plus, the, i can't argue as long that. so that's true going forward i want to skip chronologically ahead a little bit okay because we've got three left but two of them are from the same short story and i want to I think we should end with those
1: and were, were those two the same year actually as well
0: it looks like they were yeah
1: okay okay so we're gonna we're gonna skip to 2006 then and a short taken from Stephen King's Nightmares and Dreamscapes called Omni's Last Case. Now, this is one that I didn't really remember reading the story of. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't have a big recollection of, of the story itself. So the the plot of this was kind of a surprise overall for me. What about you, Andrew? I
0: thought it was really interesting. So this was directed by Rodney Altman, and it's, definitely, it's one that I, I was familiar with the name because I... I remembered it from, I I don't know where I saw the name before, maybe on an audiobook collection. Uh Something tells me this was like, because there was like this blood and smoke audiobook collection. I think this might have been one of the ones in there.
1: Well, and they did, if I recall, separate like four story collections Mm -hmm. that gathered all of the stories from, I don't know, was it Starting in Nightmares and Dreamscapes? Uh, They started doing these kind of shorter Things Mm -hmm. that would only be a few hours long. I know. I think Blood and Smoke was from Everything's Eventual, though. Okay, that that might have been later. But yeah, I I think they definitely. It's in one of those. If you if you go to the, uh, if you can find a local bookstore, (laughs) or or library, Mm -hmm. go in and check it out. Like uh, I love some of those collections. Blood and Smoke is is a fantastic collection. But I think that has like in the Death Room and uh, Mm -hmm. actually the story that we'll be talking about next as well.
0: Oh, Okay, but yeah, this was an interesting. This is more. It's almost like a, I feel like there's an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation that takes place on the, like, in, like, The Big Goodbye or something, where Picard's, like, indulging his, like, detective illusion, you know, fiction. No, there totally is. It's, uh, it's Picard's (laughs)
1: favorite place to visit, actually. Yeah.
0: And, like, this is totally, like, this is, like, the same kind of idea I think it's just parallel thinking it's not like anyone's ripping anybody off it's it's just a neat idea but uh, yeah it's like the, uh, yeah, the actually <laughs> uh,
1: season one episode season one episode 12 called the big goodbye uh, well, I just watched few. that a couple weeks ago
0: there, there are a yeah, few it's, where it's, he goes into the yeah
1: yeah it's like the character that he visits there's one over like it's and over ele- again.
0: Uh, elementary my dear data or something from season two uh-huh that's another one but yeah basically uh that's what this reminded me of which is cool and uh this has a a ton of production value and a really good cast so that alone uh uh, uh, it above a lot of the stuff on here
1: didn't you tell me that it was like 60 grand
0: okay well that's a i'm gonna say that that's good for the quality of this particular short film But just Mm -hmm. as a rule of thumb, if you rate and and I think there were extenuating circumstances here, which reading uh, reading the dollar deal book, it sounds like he think there were he ran into additional costs that he wasn't expecting. Okay, and he ended up getting money from family. And and, uh, I believe he had a relative pass away that that, uh, and they left him some money. A relative that got very sick and wanted to see it finished and gave him money. It was a very long, elaborate process. It wasn't just like he had sixty thousand dollars, but if you have sixty thousand okay. dollars, don't don't make it short. That's my that's my point. But I don't think that's how this worked from from what I understand. Okay, it, it was like it was gradually accumulated. Uh, but it, it, I mean, you can tell. The, I mean, the money's on the screen. It,
1: well, and, to its credit. Uh, that said, I mean, you know, I've seen things that cost ten times that what this did. Mm-hmm features generally that Mm -hmm. do not look like all the money's on the screen. Um, I mean, I think we, we both probably have. So there's definitely an art to capturing the, the things that are, that you have available to you and making them look, you know, expensive or giving them production value as well. So, Mm -hmm. but what's the, uh, Kind of the storyline of this one. Well,
0: if I'm remembering it right, this is where the author, a guy who writes a lot of detective stories, uh, writes himself into the story to replace the main character, pretty much.
1: Yeah, it's also very much a kind of a Twilight Zone idea. Mm -hmm.
0: I know there's
1: a a couple uh, Twilight Zones that deal with either a writer uh, bringing something to life from his creation, Mm -hmm. or maybe he is his character. I don't know. It's, you know, it's, is on how can you tell, but I think you can definitely feel kind of the influence of that, which definitely had to be formative for Stephen King. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's kind of used a lot of those tropes and then used them and then dismantled them in different ways uh over the years. But this is it's fairly straightforward as far as the writer bringing himself into his own creation mm-hmm. story-wise. It's yeah, I think it's really fun mm-hmm. too.
0: Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's I guess it's horrific for the detective to relate to find out that his life is uh, a fabrication <laughs> right. but uh the, the horror of that isn't really played in this the adaptation but it's definitely it's more fanciful which isn't a, it's not a mode that king operates in often i don't think when he goes into the fantastical it's usually the the, the, the uh horrific end of it and this is more sort of a right, lark right. and uh it's nice in that regard it's, it's a different uh different mode for him
1: Yeah, it's definitely, it's fun and the... God, I keep saying fun, but... (laughs) Then again, I also... Watching the opening scene of uh, next week's... One of next week's movies, Children of the Corn, I was reminded how fun that scene is, but it's not. It's it's horrifying. (laughs) But it's really well done, and I just get really kind of giddy over the filmmaking of it. But this... Like you said, the the production value is great. All the money's up there on the screen. And I really don't know how they did so much with so little, considering that it's a period piece. Mm -hmm. And they actually have some background extras, it looks like, in period attire. The the sets look great. The whole thing, um, I think I wrote in the notes that it looks like an Edward Hopper painting. Mm -hmm. It just kind of has that very evocative lighting. And, you know, it's not like a traditional... Uh, noir. It's not that harsh, but it is. It's. I think it's very, very well lit, which sounds like a slam. No, it's it's purposely. I can see everything to okay. to help capture the tone. It's good. I can see everything. It's in focus. <laughs> That's yeah. They achieved the minimums for a moving picture. The the child actor who plays the the newsboy mm-hmm. in this. Uh, he. I actually really liked him as well. It's no, good. He, yeah he's he's given kind of a tough role to play <laughs> as he is blind but yeah it's it's one of those where he wasn't i don't know with with child actors you almost have to start at the opposite end of the spectrum sometimes mm-hmm. you're know, like you have to grade them okay are they grading no are they too cutesy no okay i might actually start grading their performance <laughs> but uh i i really like that as well it's also it's a nice character touch to have omni interact with him and then to have the uh, the writer interact with him Mm -hmm. later also just the fact that all we see is omni's world start like disintegrating around him Mm -hmm. like we don't really get the good interactions that he's had with these people over the last x number of years we only get uh, him very confused well as, as his terrible, terrible day goes on. And we also
0: don't see the real world that the writer's coming from too. I don't know if that's, I don't know how the story structure is structured or set up, but I'm kind of curious if it's is literally right. like note for note ad- adapted, like exactly from the story or if we get a lot more of the, of what's going on, but even down to the, I mean, this has title cards with the, the chapter titles. So I imagine it, it right. sounds like it would probably be pretty close, but it, it, it does capture the, uh, the feel of reading a Stephen King story in that regard where you'll have like the, the big chapter and lots of little chapters. It's kind of nice. Yeah. Well, so I think we're ready for the big finale. (laughs) Okay. Let's do this then. So this story was, uh, it was from everything's eventual. Uh, the story is called all that you love will be carried away. And, uh, I -hmm. think maybe we should start with secret transit codes of America's highways from 2004 directed by directed by brian berkowitz okay I, this was the first one of the two adaptations that that we watched and uh it's it's a really it's one of king's like it's closer to the last Rung on the ladder maybe in terms of the tone of the story yes. and i feel like uh this particular version is uh is very sh- it's, it's it's short it's economical and it's um it's just it's uh maybe a little slight maybe not a ton of of not as much meat on his bones as, as the one we're going to talk about later. Spoilers for later, but <laughs>
1: spoilers for two minutes. I'm from now. Like
0: no one's ever going to listen to this podcast ever again after after this.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I angered, angered everybody. I angered myself.
0: But this is this is a just a really interesting character study from King. Uh, it's basically about a, a, a traveling salesman who finds comfort in bathroom graffiti and uh, decides, or doesn't decide to kill himself, but it's certainly thinking about it. it's very, it's just, it's sad, but in a very, in a way that feels very true.
1: Yes. And once again, I have a distinct memory of first encountering this story. <laughs> so I actually didn't read this in the book to begin with. I um, listened to that audiobook collection and I believe it's in the blood and smoke collection. And this was probably 2004. Late two thousand three, early two thousand four, and I was uh helping my mom clean houses at the time. I don't know if you've ever like cleaned someone else's house for money, but it could put you in a weird state of mind if you're somebody like me. Wait, are
0: you are you Jupiter from Jupiter Ascending?
1: I don't get that reference. That's what that's
0: so. what the, the main character Jupiter Ascending. That's what she does. She, she her and her family, they clean they clean houses for people, for rich people. But then they're like, You're a princess, Jupiter. You should, it's a good movie. Anyway, I'm sorry. And,
1: and then uh, have I told you that I know the Wachowskis' siblings as uh, former babysitters? You did not tell me that. Yeah, they're they're friends with my dad, and they go to like probably forty to fifty percent of his gigs, and they're very nice people. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because we've actually had kind of common communication a couple of times. <laughs> uh, but but at any rate, I remember being in someone else's house, uh, cleaning their house while listening to this story which i think is uh, apart from driving across the country in the middle of the night it's one of the better ways that i could have first encountered it and it is it's i think it's very truthful um, as somebody who has dealt with a lot of these kind of mental issues from time to time the idea that this is a person who is very thoughtful but he's been put into this line of work and put into this life that um, just kind of requires a tolerance for drudgery mm-hmm. rather than creativity and appreciation of things. Like it is a traveling salesman who literally goes door to door and gets rejected over and over again. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he looks at these weird little things in the world, he's kind of like Lester in uh, American beauty waking up, you know, seeing all the the beautiful things uh, around him. You know, he finds beauty in, and everything that's around him and this short doesn't really capture much of that aspect of it Mm -hmm. i do like it it kind of it rests a lot on just the the voiceover work and it's mostly a man sitting alone in a hotel room but i i do think it's still fairly evocative Mm -hmm. and you know it's it's pretty good if if we hadn't seen the other version of it, this would still be one of the higher ones on the list for me, personally. Well, and uh, I think uh, as an, as an, I don't know, maybe as like a
0: grace, as an interesting grace note, let's use the phone call that's in both of them to bridge the conversation between the two. The phone call scene okay. is really, really, I think it's well done in both of them, and it's really just crushingly sad. In a, in yes. a like, especially once like, because as a character is kind of playing suicide, he's calling home to check to make sure, like check on the dog, like, and, le- and he's leaving a message, isn't he? Like, he's not, yeah, he's not talking to anyone, right. another human being. So, and, uh, the second adaptation, just real quick, is directed by Scott Albanese. And it's also from 2004 and it's called all that You Love will be carried away. It kept the title of the, uh, short story.
1: Yeah. That phone call. I mean, in the first one, it seems kind of inconsequential mm-hmm. in the, albanese that sounds like a a sauce at an italian restaurant a a delicious sauce so in in the version that scott did just the acting makes it seem more like the character is desperate to connect with anybody Mm -hmm. and that he kind of seems upset that he gets the answering Mm -hmm. machine and he's just and you see this kind of play out through the course of of the story that he is desperate to like find something to grasp onto, to keep him from you know putting that gun in his mouth, basically.
0: Well, there's there's a lot more of the uh, the bathroom graffiti, the collecting it, the the wondering about like what if he if he does kill himself, what are they gonna find? What are they gonna think when they find this thing yeah. of bathroom graffiti? They're gonna say he's crazy. No one's gonna know what it is. It's just a bunch of ramblings. And uh, there's this great sequence where he's sort of ruminating on the. Uh, the different bathrooms he's been you know like he's just like i've been through all these bathrooms got you know collect all this stuff and it's sort of the the film sort of cycles through it like one after the other until it's like they're rotating through them like a slideshow and then there's a cut from that to the revolving chamber of the gun as he clicks it into place in the gun in the bedroom and then we're back in the bedroom with him it's just it's a mark of the specificity of the vision behind this adaptation that's really really sharp Like not only does are they like hey we need this type of gun for this scene because this is how I'm going to cut it together, it's very well done and I think that speaks to the acting which I think this is a stronger performance than the other one and there's a lot more to the character they actually I feel like they just include more of the story it's slightly longer than the other one yes as a result Um, and I think uh, the voiceover performance is just very much more like wistful like you get a lot more of the wistfulness
1: in this. Well, and the the voiceover in particular feels a lot more like somebody who's coming up with these things, he's really like verbalizing them for the first mm-hmm. time as opposed to the other one comes across as a little more stagy and practiced. This, you actually get a little bit... It's It feels uncomfortable. It feels like you have like cracked this guy's head open and the thoughts are just kind of spilling out around mm-hmm. you. Uh, like you're getting a real look into it. Uh, I do think that they... Expanded a lot of what is internal and makes it external in this one. As far as the we actually see him go on some of his sales calls and deliver his mm-hmm. spiel, and we we see the the faces of the disappointed people that he's trying to sell to uh, shut the door in his face <laughs> <laughs> over and over again. And I think that sequence is cut together really well. Mm-hmm. I think the the sequence where he's he's contemplating the 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 cops who would find his body (laughs) and they, they find his booklet and there's just a great kind of buildup of the, these two cops talking back and forth. And then it ends with the guy who's taking pictures, taking a picture of the other cop, holding up the book (laughs) saying like, this one's just a nut job or something. (laughs) It's like, so kind of perfect. And you know, it's actually like playing out the thing that's in his brain. And I just, I, like that so much that this guy, you know, he's, like I said, he's stuck in this job and maybe he's good at it. I I don't know if, if he's bad or if he's selling a shitty product it, <laughs> or if nobody's interested in buying his, uh, what are you, Chicken Kiev, I think, that he's trying to sell door to door. This guy who he has aspirations of becoming a writer. Mm-hmm. And so he's got this kind of fanciful brain and this way of putting things together and finding meaning in a lot of the... You know, seemingly random stuff that he encounters mm-hmm. out on the road, which actually the the short sequence where he daydreams about putting all of the the bathroom graffiti that he found into a kind of an art book with commentary and. everything. Oh, yeah. And he's sitting in a, a bookshop behind a table signing copies. But there's only one person in line. <laughs> <laughs> and I think for a lot of things that we've seen here not having any background extras is is a sign that it's that it's been cheap to to make it they couldn't get a whole lot of people to show up Mm -hmm. on the day this actually kind of plays like yeah only one guy showed up to get his book signed (laughs) (laughs) and i love that that like his big the thing that would save him is really having one person in the world appreciate the shit that he does i (laughs) I think that's so great The, and the fact that like that guy looks so excited to be getting that book signed. I just, <laughs> I love that little note. It was so good. I don't
0: really have much to add on this one. I mean, it's, it's one of my favorites of the bunch. I think, I guess we could run through the ones we'd recommend overall, I guess. Okay. I, I think yes, this yeah. one, uh, the Scott Albanese one of, uh, all that you love will be carried away. I would recommend that. I would recommend strawberry spring by david Linder. And uh, I would recommend The Woman in the Room, the Frank Darabont one. And uh, next week I'll recommend Disciples of the Crow. <laughs> so when we do Children of the Corn, no, I'll, I'll recommend <laughs> yes. it now as well. It's, it's it's actually a really interesting one uh, that uh, is is worth checking out. So those those are the I think the four of the however many we ended up watching. At a certain point, we just started adding yeah. on. Like, yeah, this is pretty good. All right, I'll check it out. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we we, we actually started with way fewer of these. And then as we were able to turn them up individually, we were texting each Mm -hmm. other and like, oh, hey, did you see this Mm -hmm. one? No, but I'm about to. And I think actually the second adaptation of All That You Love Will Be Carried Away and Omni's Last Case came because of Mm -hmm. that. So I might throw Omni's Last Case onto that as well, uh, onto the recommend pile.
0: Yeah, that one's definitely good.
1: Because that one I think is really, it's fun. It has kind of that zany... Yeah, you know, it walks the line between fun, funny and could be horrifying if put that <laughs> in just the right way. But it's totally Twilight Zony and it's a little cheesy and it's fun. Well, that, God damn it, I keep saying I'd fun. like to
0: compare it to the I haven't seen the Nightmares and Dreamscapes uh, miniseries <laughs> that TNT did, but they adapted that as well. It's it's actually Alt Rodney Altman, the director, the guy who directed the short uh, that we've talked about, uh, he when he got the Dollar uh-huh. Baby rights, he literally got in right before TNT acquired the rights to do it for the oh, series wow. and stephen king like literally was like well i'll let you like basically he could have said like oh i gotta pull the plug." like he, he was within his rights to do it i guess to anything but he generally if the rights sell for right, uh, right. to a real <laughs> a real company uh then they're they they're, they're taking off the dollar baby list and i don't think this one i think as a result i don't think this one's on the dollar baby list anymore same for uh the children of the corn the yeah children of the corn as a as a dollar baby, but he was able to continue to make the short, which I, th- I think was a, was a, a nice gesture. And I've, I, I, would like to compare the two. I've heard, I've seen people say that this one's uh stronger or, or at least a more faithful adaptation, but the, okay. the TNT one does have William H. Macy in it. So that's probably pretty good.
1: <laughs> well, and I would like to mention that there is an adaptation of all that you love will be carried away. That stars Joe Bob Briggs mm-hmm.
0: and uh Harvey P
1: car. Yes.
0: Of uh, uh, American Splendor fame.
1: Yeah, you can find uh, clips of it on YouTube. I also found clips of an adaptation of uh, Lucky Quarter, um, which is another one of these. But there's a lot of like super Mm no-budget ones that people have not had officially sanctioned that are on YouTube as well. And, you know, if you are so inclined, you can kind of go down that rabbit hole and uh, enjoy a bunch of those. But I think that that's going to kind of lead us to our takeaways because I think both of ours actually could be a commentary on what we've seen and uh, pretty much any uh, short film slash adaptation that people might make. What, what was your takeaway from this Andrew? Well, uh, I
0: think uh, one key thing, especially when you look at the dollar babies that, that exist and the, the people who have made them, it's not necessarily a guarantee. Like it, it might get your foot in the door some places, but adapting, this is not going to, you know, you're not going to be able to make money off of it. You're not going to be able to, it's not your own idea. You know, it's, it's a tricky, there's not a ton of upside. The, the big get obviously is Stephen King probably see it or at least he'll have access to it, which is really cool. Right. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's just not, you can only go so far with it. You can only take it so many places. I think that, uh, is maybe why a lot of people don't know about it or don't, or haven't seen a lot of these certainly why a lot of them certainly why almost none of them are are, uh, legally available and so it's uh i think that's interesting but uh generally i think that my second part of my takeaway is uh dovetails a little more with yours don't be afraid to change the specific beats of the story to capture its essence i think that's true of any adaptation Mm -hmm. short film Mm -hmm. feature film anything granted you know the source material if it's popular if you're adapting harry potter you want to include although they didn't include some things and they bothered me about it, but you want to try to include everything, you know, and, uh, or if you're adapting Uh it, you're going to want to include as much as is reasonable. You know, you're going to cut out some things that I think are not, if anyone's read it recently, uh, there are some things that would totally not fly in our current hot take culture. So just going to throw it out there without saying what they are. Because that would not, that would also not fly. But basically, yeah, uh, understand the essence of what you're adapting and, and uh, make the changes you need to. Don't be afraid. Don't treat it as gospel and mm-hmm. uh, go from there. What, what was your what was your takeaway?
1: Uh, first, I did want to say that the concept of the Dollar Baby is kind of like an officially sanctioned fan film, mm-hmm. uh, which is actually pretty cool. Oh, definitely. I mean, I I do think that Stephen King is somebody who he's not overly protective of his place at the top. I think he's somebody who would, you know, argue for more inclusiveness and and more voices, basically at the table. You know, once again, if you follow him on Twitter or if you go back and read his um, Entertainment Weekly, mm-hmm. I believe, uh, the stuff that he's seen in the back of the, back of the magazine, uh, th- there's reasons beyond his stories that I'm a big fan of that guy.
0: Oh, definitely.
1: So, and you know, this would be, this would be one of them, but yeah, I, I concur. I think adaptations are, it's all about what you choose to take from the source and what you choose to leave behind. You know, the best of these ones that we watched, uh, they really have the feel of the Stephen King short stories. They don't necessarily hit all the plot Mm -hmm. beats or they might change some character stuff to get more to the, the vibe of it which a book isn't a film, a short story isn't a film, mm-hmm. a script isn't a film. These are all different kind of art forms. If you're able to capture what made something special in another medium, to me, that's the essence of doing it. Like, you know, I don't care if a lot of things, uh, a lot of the, the plot points or somebody's hair is in the right color or something like that doesn't bother me. Does it give me the same vibe? Does it give me that same sick feeling in the pit of my stomach or that same chill or, um, you know, referencing even other books. Does it give me the same kind of romantic butterflies that something else does? It's all about capturing the intent to me more than each individual note. And I can totally respect people changing things to a certain degree to, to kind of fit the, the vibe and fit the, the feeling of being true to the spirit of something to me is, is the most important. You know, I think a lot of the Stephen King stories, he walks this fine line between kind of a gallows humor and uh, true darkness. And I think that that's really hard to do in film, especially in American mm-hmm. film. And so you kind of have to choose your battles and pick which way you're going to go with it. And some of these have done it better than others. But I think uh, overall, like that's a, a thing that you need to find and uh, follow through with.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I also think Stephen King specifically has a tendency, and and this isn't a slight at all because he's not a filmmaker. He's he's except for that one occasion. Right. Um, he's a he's a he's a novelist and a short story writer, and he uh, he frequently writes things that would be clumsy when visualized or could, yes. could easily be clumsy. Like Tommyknockers is, I think, an inc- it's a really good book. I really like that book. Yep. But I think when you take it to the miniseries and then you have like people using, I mean, people use just like, oh, we need more batteries for things. And like we put batteries in things and made, make machines and it, it looks a little silly. Or like when you have, uh, i right. trying to think what the other example I had was. It was right, oh, Dreamcatcher, <laughs> duh. Dreamcatcher is a prime example
1: oh, of yes, something yes, bad, yes. Maybe,
0: that maybe that something that works on the page, like the idea of an alien that festers inside you that like through like a spore or something and then it ultimately like claws its way out of your ass in like a really grotesque fashion. If you read that on the page, it's like terrifying to think about. It really is. It's a really terrifying idea. But in a when you have to see it when you when it's visualized and you you know when you hear the farts and you you know you hear all the and then you actually the, see yeah. them calling it shit weasels and it's like this guy like this dead guy slumped on the toilet like in the book it's scary but and maybe there's a way to adapt it and I'm sure there is a way to adapt it into a film that actually preserves the the horrific element of it but the film itself did not the film that yeah. we have does not uh, present it that way it it, uh, it keeps it a little. it it shines a little too much light on it. It doesn't give. it doesn't place it in the right context. And I think, I think King is someone who maybe just because so much of his stuff has been adapted, but it's very clear when someone like maybe like a literal adaptation isn't always the best way forward. I think the shining film is a great example where spoilers for the book. Can can I, should I do Uh this? Is this okay? I don't want to, I, I don't know. I mean,
1: cover your ears, ears if you're planning on reading The Shining anytime soon. And you have it That's yet. a good way, yeah. So the movie, obviously. ends. Yeah, and, unless your ear, earbuds are in your ears, <laughs> and then, then, then you kind your of out, yeah. there. Anyway, go on.
0: So the, the movie ends with uh, Jack Nicholson frozen in the snow, uh-huh. chasing his son and uh, and wife out into the, the hedge maze. And then the, the book ends with uh, Jack Nicholson uh, smashing his own head in with a mallet. Wait jack nicholson is well, in the book I, what's what's his name the, the main character why am i blanking on his name
1: come on you can do it no find the right file i, I believe I, in you, it uh, you can do it i had to google it i jack hear torrance Googling. jack torrance no i no, oh, it's I hear still Googling. searching it's still searching I don't yes.
0: jack torrance <laughs> it's the movie okay uh-huh. i want everyone to know how dumb i am i would uh to, but then in the book yeah he smashes his own brains in with a mallet but if you visualize that that looks kind of dumb Dude, to my mind, if I think about someone it's... smashing their own brains in with a mallet, I don't buy it. I, I can't. There's, no, I don't buy that. Uh, there, I don't think there's a performance that can get me to buy that. Now, King has perfectly valid concern, like valid differences of opinion with with Kubrick's film that are perfectly. I mean, it's his yes. story. It's a very personal story. He's very. He's been very clear about that. I don't. I don't mm-hmm. think that he's wrong. I don't think he has to like the movie at all. I, I know how I would feel if someone took no, something I, like. I, think... I mean, it's got to feel like you're you're waking up in a nightmare every day. You wake up a little bit, you know, you wake up in the thing that you hate that perverts your vision is wild, (laughs) widely celebrated anyway. But that's, that's, I think one really good example of him not necessarily being someone you can always translate one for one from the page to the screen. If that makes sense.
1: Right. I, I, I totally think that he um, writes things he's successful in writing things that feel visual and feel cinematic Mm -hmm. while actually kind of being ridiculous a lot of the times, but just on the page, it totally works. I also wanted to mention, I forgot (laughs) in our big wide section about all that you love will be carried Mm -hmm. away. That that story actually reminds me a lot of my favorite short story of all time, which 10 points for Andrew. If he remembers, I don't, I don't remember. I'm sorry.
0: Wait, is it? Is it I
1: oh, Am the Doorway? It, <laughs> no, joking. no, no, it's not, it's not okay, Stephen right. King, you <laughs> jackass. You massive,
0: you uh, massive <laughs> bellend, you.
1: No, it's a it's a J.D. Salinger. Oh, wait, is it? Uh,
0: um, oh, shit. I know what it is. I'm, I'm blanking on the name. It's a perfect
1: day for yeah. banana fish. It's, yes, yeah, you're right. And d- despite the fact that, you know, Stephen King's story has bathroom graffiti as it's kind of major push forward at uh, the, the tone of both kind of, of a, a self doomed man at the end of his rope, both of them like really speak to me. And I don't know. I just, I like the idea of if you like the Stephen King story, go read this JD Salinger as a recommendation. Mm-hmm. So there you
0: go. Well, and he he's nothing if not an enthusiastic, like, I mean, reader and, like I think King Stephen King reads more books than any other person and also writes more books than any other person as a result. And I, I think they're definitely connected. Uh, he's uh, omnivorous uh, when it comes to, there,
1: there's something about Stevens. There's, <laughs> some, there's something about Stevens because Stephen King, Steven Soderbergh and, and mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg are like three of the, the guys who consume the most media mm-hmm. ever. Right. Like, but also they turn out some of the best media ever so there's some correlation yeah. there I I definitely I would agree with that 100% so we're in our, the,
0: we're in our steven series right
1: now <laughs> so i guess that's kind of a a mini advanced study mm-hmm. uh, coming from me but we kind of have a a massive uh advanced study coming from the both of us which is okay
0: so it's going to seem like like, this is like we lost a bet, right? Like, we we made a bet and we lost it and now we have to do this, right? This sounds like a horrible idea. What yeah. we're doing is we're... <laughs> <laughs> I think it is a horrible idea, but it's but pretty I, great. I think I, I like the idea of going through an entire series. I, the AV Club had a thing where they they would call Run the Series and they would watch every film in a, in a series. And I like that idea. And I yes. do it, you know, when I have time, obviously. But when there's new movies coming out, like I'll try to watch the series leading up to it if I, if I have time or if there's not... You watch every James Bond. If there's, Bond not, if there's not seven other up. Fast yeah. and Furious movies, you know, to watch, you know, if there's like maybe, I don't know, uh-huh. but we're going to watch all of the children of the cord movies, including, Ooh. including the, uh, I think there's a sci-fi channel remake. Was it sci-fi channel? And was it a remake? Who even, um, what do you even I, call it? Readaptation. I don't know. Reimagining.
1: Yeah. I don't know if it's a sci-fi mm-hmm. channel because as I recall, there is boobs in it there are boobs in it there am boobs in it i don't know there's there it's i I think there's breasts well something to look forward to then
0: uh uh, at the end of uh, there's a a lot of corn and a lot of kids but at the end there's (laughs) um yeah no the uh there's how many there's at least i think there's six or seven films in the original series or six films and there's like a weird one and then there's like story one's like like a sort of reboot sort of like they did that hellraiser without doug bradley as pinhead like that one it was like a children of the yes. corn without like corn it's like <laughs> children i don't know that's a dumb joke but yeah i don't know much about these
1: I, no, no no there's <laughs> i know uh, uh there is urban harvest which is like the third one yeah I think. that one
0: has Charlie Theron in it i know that i've always oh, been wow, kind of okay. curious about that one and that's another reason to kind of watch all these I don't think there's anyone else of comparable fame in the later ones, but unless they're, you know, they, they're they on the, you know, a character actor that was famous a long time ago. They're not someone that found fame afterwards, but we're going to watch all yeah, of them. Yeah, I'm sorry, Linda Hamilton? Is, is in the later one? Is in a later one? I'm talking about After Urban Harvest. Uh, no, she's in... She's in the first one.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Come on, man. <laughs> no, no, the first one is... The first one is
0: bangers top to bottom. I'm, I, you know, I remember watching the first one and not really caring for it, but I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. You know, it's been a while and there's a oh new Arrow video Blu-ray coming out, although I think we'll wa- we'll have to watch it beforehand. But um, all right, of these right. were as of as of press time or available on iTunes uh, for about uh, five bucks a pop. Uh, I think the first one was yep. ten. Is that right, or were they all five or six bucks?
1: No, I think the first yeah. one was ten, and this was looking at a series that we could look at front to back. I mean, this ties mm-hmm. in because there is, uh, you know, Stephen King is having a good year, and we were going from Creepshow to these to the Dollar Babies. It seemed kind of logical. Mm-hmm. I also kind of wanted to look at like the Friday the Thirteenth movies, but those are all fifteen bucks a piece on iTunes. So, well,
0: some of us uh, in, threw down for that uh, Blu Ray set before it went out of print. Yeah, I'm
1: a little angry. But, uh, about that.
0: I can't believe it went out of print. That's such a shame. It's a really good set. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we're we're looking to segue into more horror stuff, at least for the f- foreseeable future in the fall. I like how I'm saying that we started with like four alien movies, <laughs> and we've done genre, right. and we really have done less of anything else than horror. We've done mostly horror, uh, and we're going to continue.
1: Yeah, it's 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 <laughs> primarily horror. Well, we are big horror heads. Is that, a, is, that a, is that a term?
0: Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, we're going to... I think by, we'll get to the end of this Children of the Corn series and we'll have like a... I mean, I watched all the Transformers movies before the new one came out because that's the kind of person I am. And uh, <laughs> I, I, develop, Ooh, I developed... Oh, a masochist? Hey, I like him. I developed some wild theories <laughs> just, just looking for something to, to read <laughs> into them to 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 merit the time i was devoting to them and i think uh i look forward to doing that uh, with these
1: yeah this is true i i should have like archived your tweets or your uh your text messages to me because you do get some goofy late night thoughts about the the nature of the transformers and i love that
0: i I mean revenge of the fallen yeah i mean i have a really really
1: long really really really
0: long (laughs) review that i wrote for that on uh on Letterboxed, which uh is uh, the site that we just put all of our stuff on when we watch
1: it usually so you get a sneak preview That's of what I what have about to, to do if you go on there i have to tell you right now there are nine children of the corn films with a 10th supposedly on its way later this year from john guliger man is it, so, a, is it a reboot or is it a s-
0: um, are they gonna? Is it gonna be like only the I don't only know, the first two or canon? It's a sequel to the first
1: two. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're doing the the Superman thing. No, it's Children of the Corn Runaway. That sounds like a comic book. Is that a comic book. It's produced by David Beckham. Be- Beckham oh. no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting is it's
0: written by the same guy who wrote and directed Children of the Corn Genesis in 2011 Yes. So who the hell knows what's going on with uh with this well, well we will we sure will the next time we record so. oh boy all right well i mean it could be fun i don't know it's really i don't like to be hard on movies like i said earlier so maybe this is gonna be maybe i'm finally gonna
1: just snap i'm just gonna maybe this will do it Oh, I doubt that. You are going to get so into this. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to regret having suggested yeah. it. So. Well, on that note, uh, let's,
0: <laughs> let's wrap things up then, shall we? You should, you should yes, check us shall. out on social media. I'm at A488 on Twitter. We also uh, have an Instagram account, The Empathy Machine, I believe. Let me double check. We are The Empathy Machine, all one word, on Instagram. Uh, where we post photos, there's some photos of our uh, Jaws okay. trip on there, and there should be some. We'll probably have some other photos soon. Uh, but we, the trip we took to Austin that we talked about a while back, uh, there's photographic evidence of it now.
1: Yes, for for this episode, you will probably get to see me in the uh, the vintage hat which I purchased recently that has a uh, kind of an Andy Warhol type print of Stephen King oh, on nice. it. That I had, I had an original copy of this hat when I was a kid. I believe it came with a pre-order for one of the, the King books because uh, I was dorky and have pre-ordered nearly all of his books since I was in middle school. The sad thing is the hat doesn't fit <laughs> because I have a massive cranium, but I found it at a, at a shop and paid 12 bucks for it, and now I own it. So maybe I'll put it on one of my kids and put them on there. They're adorable.
0: Please don't hesitate to, to email us. <laughs> <laughs> so I just launched back into uh, social media. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I pre-ordered my fair yep, share of Stephen King. Great. Books that's for sure. Um, we are at empathymachinepodcast at gmail Email us there with uh, suggest episodes because clearly we ran out of ideas because we're doing the children's. <laughs> that's not true. We've had we had a lot like, of good suggestions and we're we're going to get to a lot of them once we uh when when we get an opportunity. There's a too, there's too many good movies to talk about and uh, we like to as as this episode hopefully
1: proves we do like to do our due diligence and just really dig deep. I I do like the idea that. Our our fearless editor slash engineer, Drew, is gonna get to the part where we announce that we're doing all the children of the corn movies and then he's gonna have a coronary.
0: <laughs> a, cor- a, cor- coronary? a a cor coronary? A coronary.
1: Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna have a, a heart episode. He's gonna have uh he's gonna come over with the case of the vapors, uh, maybe. Well, uh
0: <laughs>
1: what's well, gonna well, happen? To, you no, can he, he's gonna get me. to this part of
0: the episode, he's gonna be like, they're almost done, and we're gonna just keep talking.
1: So like I thought I was yeah, done. Well he should be used to that. Like that's the the wrap-up is twenty fucking minutes of us being that's idiots. True. But you can follow me on Twitter. I am at Spartacus. That's S-P-A-R-T-I-C-K-E-S. Please make sure to rate and review the Empathy Machine podcast on iTunes or wherever else you found us. Uh, you can check out links to my work at the79hawks.com. Before too long, there might be a, a short film that Andrew and I made up there. Oh! <laughs> so you can criticize us. Yes. I wrote and directed it. Andrew produced it. So it's mostly me. You're criticizing. Thank you very much. This has been a Seventy Nine Hawks production. Uh, thank you, everybody, and uh,
0: good, good, uh, good time of day. Yep. Thank you, Thanks, Drew. Drew. Drew Devore.